Good morning, Crossroads. How are you doing? We're going to start a new series today called Beginnings. Uh, I've been wanting to do Genesis chapter 1 through 3 for a very long time. Uh, those three chapters answer so many questions about God, uh, who he is, what's he like, is he powerful, is he creative, does he have a plan, does he care? Those three chapters answer so many questions about mankind, about us. Uh, who is he? Where is he going? And why is he here? And so we want to dig into those three chapters the next several weeks. It's going to take a little longer than I, than I was expecting as I start writing out the messages. But by the way, there, there's many that discount those first three chapters. They want to discount actually the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. And when they do that, they say they may be inspired, but they're more of a poetic in genre. And you should not take them or interpret them literally. In saying that, many of them want to say that Adam is not an historical figure. And if Adam was not an historical figure, then Jesus and Paul who referenced Adam, then we have a problem, right? And if Adam is not an historical figure, then we have no fall and then we have no need of the cross. And then we have a bigger problem, right, for that. So when we look at the book of Genesis, particularly at the first two chapters, we cannot discount them because Jesus didn't. In Matthew 19, when the Jews were asking Jesus about divorce, Jesus said these words in 19, four, first, chapter 19, verse 4. Haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female? That answers a lot of questions today, right? So Jesus was counting on the truths of Genesis chapters 1 through 3. We see that. But not, but not only that, he expected those Jews he, to have and to, to read and understood this. He goes, this is Judaism 101. Come on, you need to know this. You should know this is what he's saying to them. Let me also say, as we look at the story of beginnings or, or origins or cosmology, as we look at that, that we ask the right questions. I think for the last maybe 200 years or so, we've been so focused on the details of the book of Genesis and, and creation, perhaps in doing that, in the process of that, that, we've been asking questions. The book is not answered for that reason. It's not answering those questions. And so we have to be careful. Even like when it comes to the age of the earth, many people want to ask that question. Very important question. But the Bible doesn't tell us. The Bible doesn't explicitly tell us the age of the earth. It implies it, but it doesn't explicitly tell us. So sometimes we ask the wrong questions, don't we, of the Bible. We're asking the wrong questions in the book of Genesis, not the questions God wants it to ask. And so we have to ask the right questions. Can you imagine having someone from a foreign country over your house, and you're about to watch the Super Bowl, and they're going to sit down and watch it with you, and you've got your big screen TV up, You've got all your snacks. You're all ready for the game. Maybe you're wearing jer your jersey because your favorite team is playing. And you're sitting there and you're, you're watching the game and it's just starting. And that person from the foreign country looks at you and says, what's with the shoulder pads? And what's those shoulder pads made of anybody? Anyway, you think, how much do you think those shoulder pads weigh? And you look at them and, you, and, they, and they start and you're starting to watch the game. And it says, hey, why is that field? Why is that field grass? And why is it so long? And why is it so wide? And they keep asking you questions. And you want to say to them, hey, just watch the game. Get the flow and see what's happening. And that's what we need to do in the book of Genesis. We want to watch the game to get the flow. We want to ask our questions of God is what we want to do as we're going through this. Please join me in your Bibles at page 1. I've always wanted to say that, page one of your Bibles. You don't get to say that very often. So page one, in Genesis chapter one, verse one, 
We want to learn this morning that God is the creator, right? And as we look at this, these two verses are going to help us an awful lot in terms of shaping our lives and shaping our life's ideals. So two truths. Let's read Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 this morning. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Those 10 words are poetic, but are extremely, extremely powerful. And many have said, if you can get past the first four words of the Bible, the rest is easy, right? And the rest of the Bible comes in. And that's the first true of your notes there. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Those first four words are so powerful. And keep in mind that Moses wrote this. He wrote the first five books of the Bible, but Moses wasn't there, was he, at the creation? He wasn't there. He had no idea what was going on. And so everything he wrote about, he was told to him by the Holy Spirit because he was not there. He wasn't there. So he didn't write at that time. He wrote it at later time. Probably wrote it when he was preparing the children of Israel to go into the promised land. They were told to go into the land of Canaan. But the Canaanites were living in that land at that time. And the Canaanites worshipped many, many false gods, right? So those first four words... In the beginning, God, we're going to be extremely, extremely important in helping shape in the worldview of the children of Israel. It's going to be very important. In the beginning, God. I want you to notice there, it doesn't say in the beginning, man. It doesn't say in the beginning, we. It doesn't say in the beginning, there was no beginning. It doesn't say in the beginning, there was mother nature. It doesn't say any of that. It says in the beginning, God, that God created the heavens and the earth, right? Back in 1964, there was a standard answer and really an agreed-upon answer about the beginning or origins of the universe. And it was the steady-state hypothesis, is what people believed. The universe had always existed, and it would always exist in its current state, is what they said. So what this was saying, that in other words, the universe had no beginning, it was to have no end, and it could not change, and it was not open to any supernatural intervention at all. Because the scientific community didn't acknowledge uh, supernatural. They didn't acknowledge that at all. But that was 1964. Way before 1964, in the 1920s, there were individual group of scientists who were brilliant, who were studying the universe, and they actually saw that the universe was expanding. So they came to the conclusion that the universe had a beginning. But it took the scientific community over 40 years to agree to that conclusion. They're very slow. They're very slow. Over 40 years. That thing was the 1920s, and still by 1964, they didn't come to that conclusion. In the beginning, those are very, very powerful words when we're thinking about that. You say, why is it so difficult? In large part, it can be explained by that all of us approach life with different presuppositions, don't we? Everybody has that. The presuppositions in our world today is either your humanism, humanistic, or your theism. And everybody, everybody you're going to come in contact fits into one of those two categories, either humanism or theism. Humanism says this, that man has the answers to all a man's problems and to all a man's questions. That's what humanism, they put man at the center. Theism says that God has the answers to all a man's problems and to all a man's questions. So in the case of the beginning of the universe, as we're talking, how did it all start? How did it all begin? That could be answers proposed by the steady state hypothesis. But over time, that hypothesis was proven false, that it's not right. So you prove this false, that doesn't mean the humanist now is going to become a theist because their presupposition hasn't changed, right? They still believe that man has an answer to all of man's problems. 
So their challenge now is to come up with another explanation that is plausible to them, that fit, fits in their point of view or their presuppositions, right? And what is their presupposition? That man has the answer to all of man's problems. That man is the solution. And so their solution is very finite. It's only what man can do. It's only what they're capable of seeing and doing. Where theism, for those who believe in God, right, their presupposition is what? That God has all the answers to all of man's problems, and he has the answers to all of man's questions, right? So the question of the beginnings takes us back to what God says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And what does he say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Amen? Amen. And we believe that, right? And that's good that we know that. Many of the scientists, I believe, are honest. They're really trying to find out the truth. Through their processes and through their research, they're trying to do this, find out what is true. But the world is very, very complex. We all admit that, right? Very complex. And they're trying to understand because they were not there when God put it together. None of us were there. So they're trying to look at something a long time ago to try to understand it. And it's very difficult. But some scientists we'll find are less honest, let me say. They embrace their humanism, their presupposition of their humanism so much that they don't have any room for an intelligent designer. Definitely don't have room for a God who sent his son. They're not open to that at all. So all they're looking at is how can man solve this? How did this all come to be and exclude God altogether? And this is so important for us, guys. This is really important to understand this because it's the foundation of what we believe. It was important to Jesus, and it's important to our students. As many students are going off to the universities and colleges right now, and they're going to sit under the authority of their professors. And those professors are going to subtly or not so subtly challenge them and ridicule, ridicule them and laugh at them as they take that theistic approach to life, that God has the answers to all of man's problems. And they're going to laugh at them and try to make them not to believe that anymore. So we need to pray for our students that are going to college, right? We need to pray for them and realize that is what is happening. But it's interesting. Over the years, if, if you've watched things that have happened and people have said things, that these ironclad theories that everyone has embraced, years later, people laugh at them. They're laughable, right? These ironclad theories, oh, this is the truth. And later, you find out oh, it's laughable. I don't know how many of you remember bell-bottom pants. Anybody remember those? Some of you may be saying, what are bell-bottom pants, right? But you look at bell-bottom pants. We wore those as big bottom pants now, and I see sometimes it might be coming back. But you look at those, and it was a good idea at the time, but now you look back and say, how could we wear those? You kind of laugh at that, right? And I kind of look at, you think that uh, people will look one day at skinny jeans as the way to look at bell-bottom pants one day and laugh. And maybe some of you are laughing now at them. You're looking at them. It looks like a good idea, but later on you can say, come on, we did that? That's often like these ironclad theories that people have today where especially if they're based on humanism, based on man, and man has the answer. Well, one day through the discovery of truth, because truth and time always walk hand in hand, always, they always walk hand in hand, that those ironclad theories become hypotheses that are laughable years later, right? And I, I can think of, I'm not going to mention, but I can think of some things that are happening today and what people are saying today. It's just going to be a few short le- years that we're going to be laughing at those. It's laughable what people are saying today. And you know it's going to be proven false. Over time and truth go hand in hand. It'll be proven false. But let's look at these words, in the beginning, God. Such powerful words, aren't they? So we know there's a beginning. Listen, everyone agrees that there's a beginning. 
that there was a beginning. Everyone agrees upon that. There was a beginning of this universe. Somehow it started. Uh, but everybody disagrees how the beginning took place and who was in control and who was in charge. And yet the Bible tells us it was God. It was God. Undeniable. It says God was in charge. Genesis 1.1, the first page of the Bible tells us in the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. I want to share with you a word about this God. It's a word called acidi. Acidi. It's a Latin word. Uh, we don't use that word today, but it's made up of two Latin words. Of meaning from and C meaning self. And what that means is sufficient to himself is what it says. That the Bible tells us from verse 1 that God is a, a seedy. And what it means, God is from himself is what it means. And so there's one, there's no one whom God is dependent upon. That God has always self-existed. He always will be and he always was and he always will be. Doesn't have a beginning, doesn't have an end. And when we're talking about the beginnings, we're not talking about the beginnings of God. You know that, right? We're talking about the beginnings of God's creation that he gives us in the Bible. We're not talking about the beginning of God because God has no beginning. God has always existed, and God will always exist. Amen? He will always exist. But God is complete. God is unified. God is one. God needs nothing for his existence. So who else fits in this category of a seedy? Who else fits in that category? Answer it. Who else? No one. No one. That's the answer. It's not a trick question. It's, 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 no one. This God who is powerful, created, no one is like him. No one fits in that category. God is in a category all by himself. No one else is in that category. He is a seedy, the Bible says. The word we find here for created is only used of God because he created everything out of nothing. And it's so important we understand it. He created everything out of nothing. When we create and we have many creative people here. You create things. You create it out of some raw material in which you use or you stand on the head and shoulders of those who have created before you. God didn't do that. When God created, he didn't have any hydrogen. He didn't have any nitrogen. He didn't have any dirt to work, work with. He created out of nothing. Think about that. Out of nothing. And he created everything that we see. He created all things is what the Bible says. It goes on to say that this God, eternally existing, totally independent, totally complete, needing nothing and needing no one, created out of nothing the heavens and the earth. Think of that. He created out of nothing the heavens and the earth. Now, he's just creating them. He hasn't filled them yet, but he just created them. There's a Hebrew expression. It's talked about the totality without bringing in the particulars. And we use an expression something like that. We'll say, you know, from head to toe. And when you say from head to toe, what do you mean? from the top of your head to the bottom of your toe and everything in between, right? And that's what the Bible is saying here. God created the heavens and he created the earth and everything in between. They had created everything. There's nothing that's there that God has not created. That's what it's talking about. He's created everything, everything, everything. There's nothing that in this universe that he has not created. He created it all. So we have a God who created. So that's, what, that's what the Bible tells us. Eastern religions... They won't draw a distinction necessarily between the creator and creation. They think they're one and the same. That there's a God who created, but now we're all like gods and this God together that we're all. In contrast to the Western mind, the Western mind leaves no room for God. They put meaning in the material. So the Easterners are saying that everything is God. The Westerners are, Westerners are saying there is no God. But yet Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 says, in the beginning, God, right? It tells us right there. In the beginning, God. Uh, what does that mean for us? 
Well, those first four words mean everything. In the beginning, God, it means this. He is the one that gives existence. And think about that. He's the one that gives existence. Without him, there would be no existence of any of us. He gives existence. It doesn't say in the beginning, I. If it did, we would have a biblical support for self-centered living, right? We could live selfishly. We'd have it. I got support there, but it doesn't say that. It says, in the beginning, God. Is it possible for many living us living centuries or millennial after God created, that we've taken things in our life and exalted them to positions that only God should have in our lives. So if we lost them, whatever it is, we would be so totally devastated by it. And think about that. What would that be in your life? That if you lost it, is there anything, a job, a person, maybe it's a dream, that if you lost it, you'd be so devastated. You said, "I, I, I don't think I could go on that you have that in your life. I don't think I could go on if I lost that. If that's the case, I want to say this as sensitive as I can. Maybe we formed an idol of that thing, that person, or whatever it is. We put them in places they never should have been in our lives. Instead of worshiping the God who brought it all together. Because it's God. Our existence is based upon Him, right? He's the one that sustains us. He's the one that we put up there and we worship Him. That if God stopped existing, that would be the end. It would be the end. But not if someone else, our existence is still the same because it's based upon God, not other people, right? And so that's what I want you to get from here. We, I want you to grab. In the beginning, God, it means everything. It means everything. You take those four words out of the Bible and forget the rest. In the beginning, God, he was there. And he always will be. The second, the Bible says as well, the second truth that we have, that God brings chaos into order. And we see that. He brings chaos into order. We're going to see that. Uh, Let's read verse 2. The beginning of the verse 2 contrasts the second part of verse 2, but let's read it. It says, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Let's look at the first part of that. It says, Now the earth was formless and empty. And I want you to get this. In other words, God created something that wasn't yet ready to be inhabited by mankind. That's what it's saying there. It was not hospitable to mankind. It was formless. It was empty is what it says. And it goes on to describe it one more way in, in verse, the second part of verse 2. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. The word deep can also be translated. It's translated throughout the, the, the Bible and other places. The abyss. It's an abyss. So it's often referred as a bottomless pit, empty, dark. So we have an earth that was created without form and empty. And there was darkness over the surface of the deep. That's the world that God created is what we see from Scripture right there. But the contrast now, here's the big thing. The contrast now is the next step. In the verse 2 gives us the contrast, what's about to happen. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That changes everything. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. When you read the New Testament, you find there's three persons that make up the Godhead, right? We have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We're all part of creation. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. So we see God the Father was there in creation. In Colossians chapter 1, in the New Testament, we see Jesus created all things. And by him, all things were created. And he sustains all things. So Jesus, the Son of God, was there in creation. And here in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, it says, The Spirit of God, or the Holy Spirit, hovered over the waters. So the Holy Spirit was there. So we see the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit was there part of creation. The word hovering 
is an interesting word because it's only used one other time in Scripture. When Moses was singing a song of the, over the nation of Israel, he is singing this song, and he uses that same word in, in uh, Deuteronomy 32, verses 10 through 12. Let me read it to you. He says, in a, in, in a desert land he found him. He is referring to God, and the hymn's referring to Jacob. So let me read it again. In a desert land God found Jacob. In a barren and howling waste, he shielded him and cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spread its wings to catch them and carries them on its pinions. The Lord alone led him. No foreign God was with him. What he is saying, the, the word that is used there, the Spirit of God hovers over him. If God hovers over him, it says, it's like an eagle hovering over the nest of the little eagles in the nest carrying them on his wing, protecting them and providing for them, giving them life. That's what he's doing here. And he's doing it. And now he uses that same word that used in Deuteronomy. We find it here in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, the same word. The Spirit of God is hovering over the water. But we got to get the picture. Giving the earth, which is without form, is empty, and darkness over the abyss. And the Spirit of God is about to change all of that. That's what it's showing him. The Spirit of God is going to change it all right now is what we're going to see. Verse 3 and following basically give us the details of how that all happened. But in the verses 1 and 2, you have the framework of what God was doing, of Him creating and giving life and form, and how He created the universe that He, that he made. We see that. How He gave life to everything. We see that. What does this mean for us? What does it mean for us? Well, I want to give you two implications of the second part of your outline. And these are very important implications for our lives that are very important for us. And the first one, life is meaningful. To understand that, what these first two verses are saying, life is meaningful. And you say, I get that. But however, if there was not a verse one, and if it were true that the world came into existence by random nature, by random chance, through the Big Bang Theory or, 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 or through the pole of gravity or whatever uh, a humanistic solution that they have out there, if they said that, whatever it may be, if that's the way it happened. Listen, everyone agrees on a couple things, and I want to share that with you. Everyone agrees on a couple things. First, that the earth is special. They all agree upon that. That, that, that any change in the calculations of life and how life works if we change any of that here on this earth, it would end all life. Uh, scientists agree with that. Theologians agree with that. Everyone agrees with that, that this earth is special. They both agree as well that man is special, that man has the opportunity to think, and they have the opportunity to speak and to interact and be relational, and they have the opportunity to have the deepest of emotions, and, and they agree. But where scientists and theologians disagree on is the specialness of earth and the specialness of man. Uh, many would say that this is an accidental exceptionalism, and some would say it's an intentional exceptionalism. I would argue, based on Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it is an intentional exceptionalism that God created, wasn't you? It was intentional. Didn't happen by happen chance. Didn't happen that God stumbled on it or it just happened. They would go on and share the details later on in the book of Genesis, how he created the luminaries, the creatures of the sea, the birds of the air, the land animals, and finally the culmination of God's creation, man created in his own image. That we were a part of the intentional, exceptional universe of God's creation, the creation of God that he created. And that reflects his glory and his power and his honor. That's who we are, and that's the world in which we live, in which God created. It was intentional. 
It was intentional. It wasn't by accident. It didn't happen by uh, some humanistic solution. But if it was just random chance, suppose it happened just randomly, just by just chance, all this came together. Nietzsche, a philosopher, said this, who said to fellow philosophers who had no time for God, he said, if there is no God, have the guts to admit that life is meaningless. And if, there, if this is all result of some random process, then there is no meaning to life. Yet we don't live like that, do we? We don't live like that. There's no meaning. Because everything about us cries for meaning, doesn't it? Everything about us. Right now, we're preparing children to go to school. We tell them to go to school and to learn. Why? Because it matters. Why? Because it's important. So they can get a job and go to work and make a difference in life. Why? Because of meaning. It all matters. It has meaning because there's meaning to life. That's what we say. We have dogs and cats, and, and we give them names. Why do we do that? Because it matters. Because life has meaning for us, right? There's meaning to life. There's meaning in the things that we do and names that we give to things. They have meaning. And some will say, I'm afraid to make decisions in my life. I'm afraid to miss out on something that I'm, that I'm supposed to have. You should be afraid because life has meaning, the Bible says. And we don't want to miss out on anything that God has for us. So there's meaning to life because the reason there's meaning to life, because in the beginning, God. And that changes everything. Take that away and there's no meaning to life. We only have meaning in life because in the beginning, God. And it changes everything. The, the second implication I want you to see is very important for us to understand as we're reading this, that life is about God's story before it's about our story. That life is about God's story before it's about our story. Genesis 1-1 does not say in the beginning, I. It has said before, if it, if it did, we'd have proof text for selfish living, but it does not say that. It says, in the beginning, God. And it says everything when it says that. Because we want to live a life in such a way that we're making a difference in the world. We want to live a life in such a world that we have meaning in our world, that our life is making a difference, and there's meaning in our lives. Well, we find meaning in our lives when we connect with God's story. That's where we find meaning. When we connect with God, that's where there's meaning. Because we find that this story that's taking place in Genesis and taking place in this world, it's all about God. It's his story. It's his story. You understand it. It's not about you. When God is saying in the beginning, God, it's, it's all about him. And it's what God is doing and what God is carrying out. And this story is all about him. So if you're going to find meaning in your life, say, I really want to find meaning and purpose, you've got to connect your story with God's story. Because that's where the meaning is, because this is all about him. And if you don't, you miss the whole purpose of everything that's going on. Because he's the reason. He's the reason. He's the one that gives existence. When I think about first two, I think about people. Because it says, he created the world without form, and it's empty. Darkness was over the service of the abyss. So, but the Spirit of God hovers over it. it. means life is meaningful. It's meaningful. And I want to say, as, and I want to say this as kindly as I can, because sometimes we come and we, we have struggles in life. We're struggling in life. It says, I, I don't know the meaning of my life. I don't know the meaning of my years. I, I don't know what I'm supposed to, what I'm supposed to be doing here. I don't know my purpose for being here. I don't know any of those things. Or we say, you know, I used to have a job. I lost my job. I'm trying to find a new job, and I don't have meaning. Or I have this sin in my life, and, and I can't get rid of this sin, and it like follows around. It's like a shadow, and I can't get rid of this sin. I want to share with you and say to you this, that God had a world, the Bible tells us, that was formless and empty, right? And, but the Spirit of God hovered over it. 
to fill it, to give it meaning, to give it life, and to give it purpose. And he can do the same thing for you. If God can do that in this big, huge world, to give it life and purpose and meaning, he can do that in your life too. Every one of our lives, because that's what God does. He gives our life meaning and purpose and, and reason for living and all that. So if you're struggling with those things, you're saying, I'm afraid to make a mistake. I'm afraid I'm going to make the wrong decision in my life. Find your context and find your story as God beautifully invites you to the drama of his story in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. That's what he's doing. He's inviting us to be a part of his story, to realize who he is. And I'm inviting you to be part of my story. What does it mean for us? It means that God will bring and can bring order out of chaos. Not only in the world, but in our lives. He can do that in every one of our lives. And he started a world. It says, in the beginning, God, right? It starts there. And he created a, the heavens and the earth. But the heavens and earth were formless and empty. And the Spirit of God was to bring life and meaning and purpose. And he was to fill it. That's what he was going to do. And if you continue reading, you find out that man sinned before God. And so man is separated from a holy, just, righteous God. And man is destined to spend an eternity separated from God. Yet God had a plan, you see. And the God who created so powerfully is a God who loves so powerfully. And so he had a plan. He called Abraham. And listen, Abraham was a moon worshiper. He was a moon worshiper. And God called Abraham and he says, leave your country, leave your family, leave your father's household and go to a land that I will show you. And Abraham followed a voice that he never heard before. He never heard it before and he followed. That's faith, right? And he followed it. And a nation was born, the nation of Israel. And God said, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And he did that. And from that great nation came Jesus. And Jesus came into this world to live and die so that you and I may have life. And then the apostle John writes later in the gospel of John, he writes in John chapter one, verse one, in the beginning, he starts it off with, why does he do that? To draw our attention back to Genesis 1-1. That in the beginning, he was referring, what is he referring to? To Jesus. Referring to Jesus. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and he's referring to Jesus. To draw our attention way back there. In John 1-1, he's taking you back to Genesis 1-1, in the beginning. So you would connect those two and realize what he's doing there. Help us to understand it. That Jesus, the picture there, that Jesus was in this face-to-face -face presence with God the Father during creation. That Jesus is God. That's the picture that John was painting for us. This face-to-face -face presence with God the Father. So, we, so before, in the beginning of John 1-1, I mean Genesis 1-1, we have John 1-1. That's what he's saying. Before Genesis 1-1, where we got in the beginning, was John 1-1. Jesus was there. The Word was there. He's given us. And then he goes on, and he talks about that in 1 John 1.1, the first epistle of John, talking about Jesus having this plan and, and that unfolded through the drama of God's story is what he's given us. So we find our story in God's story. That's why it's so important for us to know Jesus. So important for us to put our faith and trust Jesus to, in Jesus so we can be connected to God's story and be part of his drama that's taking place. My appeal to you, to, to you today is, first of all, in Genesis chapter 1, Understand that the God that we have never tries to prove his, ex his existence. He never does. He never does. He just says, here I am. It is assumed in the Bible that God exists. 
that God says, look at the creation. You've got to know there's, there's a God. Just look around you. How can you look around you and think it just happened by chance, by random chance? You've got to know there's a God, and it's just assumed. But we have to accept that by faith, right? Because we haven't seen him. We weren't there when he created. But we've got to accept that by faith. Just like the humanist, they have to accept their presuppositions by faith because none of us were there. None of us were there. So the God that is talked about in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, is a God who is huge, is a God who is very, very powerful. And his drama involves you. He included you in that drama before the world ever began, is what the Bible tells us. Before it ever began, he included you. You know, before Genesis chapter 1, 1, what we have there, before the world was ever created, he knew about you. And he had a plan for your redemption. You know, I came to know Jesus Christ as my Savior many, many years ago in my early 20s in Berwyn, Illinois. God knew about that before there was an Illinois, before there's an earth. He had me in mind. That's what the Bible says. That's the God we are talking about. Not a God that just, oh, he's just, as he's going along, he's making this happen. Here's a God that has a plan that's worked out before the ages of time, before you and I can even think, before he created anything. He knew every detail what he was going to do. Do you understand that? That's what the Bible is saying. And he wants your story connected to his drama. He wants your story connected to his story. So if you're here today, you don't know Jesus Christ is your Savior. If you never put your faith and trust in him, please accept him today. If you have questions about Jesus, get your questions answered. It's so important that you put your faith and trust in Jesus. Because of this, don't delay it. Because it all comes back to in the beginning, God. It all comes back to that. Because every one of us will have to one day stand before the God who created all things, right? Every one of us will have to stand there one day and go to account. And the only way we're going to get through, the only way that we're going to get to heaven is through Jesus, of putting our faith and trust in Jesus. Amen? So if you don't know Jesus, if you don't have that relationship with God the Father, put your faith and trust in Jesus, that he died on the cross for your sins. For all of us, let me encourage you, be a part of every one of these messages in this series. Be here at the church to hear these. These are very, very important messages, especially for our foundation, because if, if, these three, if these three chapters are not true, if we don't understand them correctly and interpret them right, then everything else gets messed up because everything's built upon these three chapters, really the first 11 chapters of Genesis. But these three chapters are so crucial for us. This is the foundation. And we have to get it right. This is where many people in the world, humanism attacks us. So if we understand this, we're able to defend our faith. This is the foundation. So try to be here. If you can't, I'm saying try to be here. The next 11, 12 weeks as we're going to be going through. This might be in two-part series of this series, but to be here. If you can't, the messages are usually online uh, just shortly after we finish here. But make sure you try to be here, okay? Let's go to Lord in prayer. Lord, we come and we praise you. We praise you, God, because when we read, in the beginning, God, Lord, it blows our minds away because our minds cannot grasp that. When our finite minds try to grasp in the beginning, going way, way, way back there, Lord, we don't know how many years exactly it was, but it talks to the in beginning as we know it of the Bible that you were there and you created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was em empty and, and uh, darkness was over the, over the surface of the deep. And it was empty and, and everything and void and all that. But, God, but the Spirit of God was there hovering, ready to implement your plan. But that was part of creation, God. 
The heavens and the earth were part of your creation. In other parts of the Bible, it talks about that you created everything, that Jesus created everything. Everything that we see in heaven and earth that Jesus created. And it talks about the six days, and we'll get into that next week. Lord, I pray that you give us understanding and wisdom. That, Lord, we do not try to limit your power. That we don't not try to limit the size of our God, how big he is. But we'd accept what the scriptures are saying about who you are and what you've done. And, Lord, that we would stand back and be amazed how, God our, how great is our God. Because there's no one like you. No one can create out of nothing. Only you. You're the only one that can do that because you're a seedy. You're in a category all by yourself. And so, Lord, as we get into this scripture uh, and we start reading these words, Lord, they're bigger than our minds can expand. But, Lord, we ask that you would expand our minds to help us to grasp it, to understand who you are as best as we can, to understand how big and huge and powerful that you are, and to understand that, Lord, you're a creative God, and you're a God who cares, and you're a God who loves us. And you're a God who loves us powerfully, loves us so much that you want a relationship that even though we messed up here on this earth and messed up what you created, that, Lord, you didn't give up on us, that you pursued us by sending your Son because you love us just as powerfully as you created and Lord, as we see that through the book of Genesis, Lord, let us be amazed. Let us never get tired of hearing the story. Let us be amazed at your wonder, your creativity of all that you do as we get into next week of what you formed. And then we talk about what you filled, filled it with. And Lord, let us be amazed. Let us hearts and minds be open to the word of God. We're so thankful, God, that in the beginning, God, it starts there. And I pray that everyone in this room agrees with that, that in the beginning, there. God, and he created the heavens and the earth and created everything. And if not, Lord, I pray if they have questions, they might come and ask, and so we can seek the truths together to find that out. Lord, as I said before, everyone fits into one or two categories, humanism or theism. We have to choose which one we're going to believe, that everything happened by random chance or everything happened by an almighty God. He's our solution, or as humans, the solution. We've got to come to that terminology, that, to that terms in our, in our own beliefs. So Lord, I pray for anyone that does not know Jesus Christ, their Savior. I pray for their hearts this morning that they would understand that Jesus is the only way and they put their faith and trust in Jesus. For Lord, as we're finishing and ending our service now, that our minds would be amazed at God and we'd sing with our hearts and mind how great he truly is. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.